0: Hello everybody, welcome to the big program, Dave Stuttered Things, my granddaddy said, man, have we got a big show for you today. I cannot tell you how excited I am about the show that we're about to put on for you. But before we get to it, as always, let me introduce to you my sidekick, right-hand man, my producer, engineer, musical talent. Uh, he's off camera and off of uh, out of frame, but you know him, you love him, you can't live without him, everybody, Mr. Jack Stuttered. Yes, sir. How's it going, Jack? Don't Good everything working out good for you so far i cannot complain at all how's school coming along you just School's coming along great. it's almost over almost out can't wait for that coming down to the home stretch aren't you yes sir all right well listen everybody let me get to it we have such a such a thrill-packed episode we need to start right away i've got a very special guest in studio with me um many of you know him some of you don't you'll be meeting him for the first time perhaps as you know we're coming down to the wire for the uh primary election uh here in georgia uh, i believe it's um May 21st is the primary election, and uh, <clears throat> it's time to make your decisions. Um, so to that end, I have in the studio with us uh, Georgia State Senator Mr. Marty Harbin. Marty, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, sir.
0: Listen, thank it's you amazing. so much for joining us. Okay. Really appreciate you coming in. Um, <clears throat> let's do this. For for folks that, that may not be that familiar with you, just go ahead and give us a little background information about yourself. Um you know, just sort of some, some, a little bit of biography about uh, Senator Marty Harvin.
1: Okay. I've lived in Fayette County for 45 years. Uh, Went to Woodward Academy, graduated from Georgia State, business degree. Um, Have been in the insurance and finance um, business for uh, 41 years. Uh, And my office is now in Tyrone. We have 22 employees. Um, I have uh, been married to my wife, Debbie, for 41 years. We have six children, uh, nine grandchildren and one more on the way. And, um, um, I'm a private pilot. I've got a cattle operation along. So if I don't have a lot of, uh, spare time in between. So I decided I would, I would uh, also run for Senate too. Right.
0: Well, yeah, you, you need something <laughs> else on your plate, obviously. You know, I did not, I don't know how I didn't know this, but I did not know that you went to Woodward.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Did you?
0: I did. Really?
1: I sure did. What 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 year? 83. Okay. I was a uh, 73 came out. Okay. Okay.
0: okay. Uh, wow. I'm, okay. I'm
1: surprised I didn't know that. Actually, there's three, mem- <clears throat> two members of the Senate that came uh, out, of, out of Woodward Academy, too. So that's interesting.
0: That's great. <laughs> well, you know, at it, least it, it served us in some capacity.
1: It did. It did. Well,
0: I mean, and let's go ahead and say this for folks that may not be familiar with, with this sort of uh, fact about us. You and I ran against each other yes, in, the, in the 2014 race. It was a, it was yes, a vacant seat. Sir. Mr. Yes, Ronnie Chance had stepped down, yes, sir. and several of us got in it, yes, um, seven, you, me, and everyone else. Um, <clears throat> and you and I got into a runoff, and you you won the one runoff, runoff and, and the rest is history. Um, and to that end, let me also say that uh, I don't, I'm sure you're probably aware of this, but we, we lost one of those candidates the other day, Mr. Bill Johnston, Passed away. I don't know if you knew I that. I did or not. not know. No, that. he, he did sure did. Really? Yeah. Um, it's been probably ten days ago. We had his um, memorial service Sunday down in Griffin. Okay. Um, just a, a great, great Good guy. guy. Great oh, guy. Just I got to know him then, and in, in, in my capacity as a lawyer down in Spalding and Griffin, got to know him even better. Just a really, really guy, great guy, godly man, and, class and act. wonderful class. family. Yeah, yeah, class act, class act, and he, he's going to be sorely, sorely mm. missed. Mm. Okay. Um, well, let, let, let's, uh, let's get into this a little bit, Senator. Um, legislative session that we just uh, finished up.
1: Okay.
0: Um, what were some of, your, uh, some of the things about it that pleased you first? Let's talk about that. Okay. What What's what some of the things that came out of it that you thought were positive?
1: Well, probably the most positive thing for the first time since 1937, we gave the Georgia taxpayers a reduction. And the reduction was from uh, 6 percent, 5.75, should go to five and a half uh, in 2020. So anytime there is a tax decrease, that's a great thing. Uh, With the modifications in the feds, Georgia was predicted to have a $3.5 billion surplus uh, just because of the federal tax law changes that were there. And uh, there was some pressure, but to, to do that, Georgia's revenues were up 6%, so it made sense to get that through. And that's something that uh, I think is a big thing because we need to do some relief. I think we could do a better job. I think we could reduce that rate even further. But that was a very positive move for one of the first times we've seen that happen. Um, the, the other positive things, I guess, were there was uh, an adoption bill. Uh, currently in Georgia, an adoption takes about 30 months And the national average is 13 months. And uh, what we did, we saw a streamlining of the adoption bill uh, laws and changes there, which I felt was good because here's the issue that people don't think about. When we have children who are in foster homes, they cost the state money. If we can get them out of the foster homes and into a regular home, and there are families who want to adopt, and we need to make that as easy as possible, uh, it's less burden on the state, and we and the kids do better. There's no doubt about that. So I think that's something. One of the things I would like to see futuristically is a little better uh, tax credits for adoption because if we think about it, if the state's spending forty or $50,000 per kid and we can give a tax credit to someone who will adopt that child and bring that child back in, what a, a great opportunity for the child, but also it, it takes a burden off the state too. So those were two really, how do I say, Good things that happened that were were beneficial um, and when you look at what 's going on, uh, probably one other bill that 's going to affect us all will be a distracted driving bill uh, you 're going to have to have a hands free um, uh, and that 's going to be a tough one That was a little tough on me because it 's a nanny but type bill nanny state bill type issue. I struggled with it greatly, but when you hear the testimonies that were given of people who were killed people a, a doctor riding a bicycle who was hit by a person who was texting. Um, you just really kind of said, we've got to start somewhere. We've got to do something. Uh, it was first very aggressive. It got cut down a little bit. But it also puts, uh, and you know this, it's going to put a, a burden upon our law officers to enforce that law as well. But yet it's something that needs to happen.
0: Yeah, I'm going to, I, I was. I did not agree with it. Um, uh, and and I have I've, I have given it some thought, and I have talked to some people that uh, sort of are close to the issue. And, and, and it was explained to me that, you know, there, there's, perhaps some information that I didn't wasn't privy to you know insurance uh, um, statistics and you know those kinds of things that uh, but you said it I mean it, it, it seems like it's a it's an overreach it's a bit of a nanny state. we've already got a distracted driving law on the books. Um, you know, I always make the joke that, you know, you, there, there are several things that you, that you, um, that you cannot do in Georgia while driving. And I go through the litany of things and it's, well, let's see, you, you, you can't eat a cheeseburger. Oh no. Yeah, you can. Uh, you can't read Warren. Pe- well, yeah, yes, you can. Um, you, you, oh, I know what it is. You can't pick up your cell phone, you know? So it, it, it to me, it, it's a little bit, um, it's, it's a little bit gratuitous and just sort of layers on what we already have. But I, I will say just sort of playing devil's advocate, I can see where, perhaps there are statistics and information that suggest that it, it, it may um, it may save you know lives and property
1: and that kind of thing here's a part that falls back to me because of my background in insurance currently Georgia is number 49th in profitability for auto insurance and in addition to that it runs a combined ratio of 123 percent so for every dollar in premium they take out they pay a, a, a dollar and twenty three cents so that we're seeing since people went from holding a phone to their ear to looking at the phone, the last four to five years have actu- actually skyrocketed in what's going on. If you add to that lower gas costs, that's that's done part. Employment gains because of that. And then if you look at the car today, if a car is damaged about 30% or more of the value, it's a total. And the new technology that's in those cars is that much co- more costly to replace. So all of that together is driving that Upward, and so that we 've got to deal with it, I will tell you just driving to Atlanta for the during the session, I saw people watching movies, I watched things going on, you could drive by, and you kind of go, "Whoa, what yeah. do we do and yet that 's an issue of public safety i am i don't like it. I will tell tell you that it was uh watered down somewhat in the in the penalties that were there because originally it was almost like a duI And I said, I think it's going to be like the seatbelt laws. It's going to take a period of time for us to acclimate to that. And the other part is this, is technology is going to change too. Uh, Apple already has the capability to turn off your texting, turn off certain things. In fact, Ford has that available on their cars now that if you have someone driving that car, you can set the priorities of what you want them to be able to do while driving. So the technology, I think, is going to handle some of that coming forth but i think we've got to do something because of the lives that are uh, occurring and um, and and i I've, I've got several friends that are dead right now simply when they looked at it they were able to look at that and they said the person that hit them was texting at the time the accident yeah. occurred so yeah. something it's a public safety issue but it's one i really I struggle with sort
0: of take it with just a you know you you you, you passed it you you've got on board with it but you're still not necessarily Easy with it, I'm, right? I'm, okay. Well, what about some disappointments down there
1: this year? Biggest disappointment was a, uh, a faith-based adoption a, uh, adoption program uh, or bill. Uh, here's the part about it: is I believe that the Georgia Baptist, the Catholic Church, those that provide adoption services should be able to place those children in homes in which they they match their deeply held religious belief. And right now, they're operating really without a without any direction, without what's going on. And we had been pretty much promised that if we would let a clean adoption bill go through, that they would, we could run it on a separate. It passed the Senate, but when it hit the House, it never came back out again. And here's what I see is this. These are kids. These are children that we have a responsibility to protect, and we should not place them where you're operating like that into homes in which, especially when you have the, the 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 Christian organizations that are there, they need protection that they can place those kids in homes that match their belief system. That was a real how do I say a real disappointment with what yeah. was going on.
0: Right. Okay, and let me ask you this: um, <clears throat> I know there was some there was some movement on medical marijuana, and I, if I understand correctly, it, what, what happened was. Um, the, the folks that are, are authorized, I guess, maybe that's not the right word, but the sort of the, the spectrum of people that could, that could use or benefit from medical marijuana was expanded. However, there was no movement on the possession, the, 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 um, the way to uh, obtain it. It's still illegal to possess and obtain in Georgia. Um, what are your thoughts on, on, first of all, what are your thoughts on the legislation that was passed relevant to that this session?
1: let's Let's talk at one first, let's go to federal, sure, because currently, under federal law, uh marijuana cannabis oil, is a class two drug which says that it has no medical benefits for anybody, so as a as a a class two drug, not class one, fDA has said it has no benefit, even what we're doing now, where we pass limited uses of the medical marijuana, the cannabis oil, things of that nature, they're still in violation of federal law. And the federal law says we're not going to prosecute. So the doctor, the the pharmacist, he's still in violation of federal law. Uh, We saw this in Colorado when they passed their marijuana law. What they found out is they could not use credit cards on much of their sales because credit card use for drugs was a federal offense. So I think that uh, we've got – I think we have to be careful as we open the door – and, and your background in law enforcement—I mean, uh, we have to be very careful. I believe that, that that if we can prove that it's beneficial to the person, uh, and prove that medically that that even the medical community is not a hundred percent there, we've got to make sure that we do the do the right thing. Uh, we have families going out of state, and I heard testimony of that. I saw kids with seizures that were benefited from that. But I think we we really need what we need to do this. All of the states would not be having to deal with this if our federal government would step in and make a decision about what we're going to do with this and look at it and say, do we really have, is this beneficial? And you've got people from every walk of life. Some would love it to be legalized totally. And, and you know this is that that's an issue we have now uh, with alcohol and drug use. And uh, if you look just at our automobile accidents, those are uh, 50% of our accidents run there. So I think those are things that we do. Uh, probably the, the issue that I've heard a little bit, you know, is, the, is military uh, dealing with their uh, um, um, depressions and things of that nature coming in. But you didn't see a lot of hard facts on that that you'd like to see that says, hey, this helps every time or this does that. So we're in a s- experimental and we're we're opening slowly as far as what it can be used for. We've still not seen, I think, enough hard data to see, is it beneficial? Does it open the door? I think we need to control the cannabis oil. We need to realize that. And I don't know that we need to manufacture it in the state. There's other places we can get it and ship it in. And I think for those people who we feel like it's beneficial, we'll, we ought to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that kind of gets me to, you, you sort of touched on it. I know that you have been down there when sort of these throngs of, of kids and parents would come down and, and sort of, demand an audience with with their representatives um and and, you know they they are convinced that this is helping their kids um i mean what what do you say to them senator
1: well i think just like you and i would for my kids if something's wrong and i really i'm going to do whatever i've got to do to make that happen we need to make a provision but we need to also do this uh, there's a protection factor that's there as well when you open the door. It's not good for that to happen in a home where they're processing the oil. And as I understood, one, one of the nice things I would say within the Senate, we have um, uh, three doctors that are there, medical doctors. We have a nurse. Uh, I think that even benefits us even more so. And, and they were not 100 percent about, you know, where we go and how we expand that. One of the things is this, is that in the Senate, you've got 56 members coming from diverse backgrounds, and you kind of rely on the others with, you know, the detail, the deep detail of what's going on. And I think that's a good process, but my, my expertise is not in drugs and medicines and things of that nature. So you lean on that, that group that has that as well. I think this is that we need to make provisions where we see that, and I will tell you that in some of the kids especially, we do see some benefit um, but we need, I think, to move forth with that and try to get our federal government to move forth as well because this is another thing that even if we could get the federal government to classify it as one and, and the parameters around it, even then insurance could come into play. Right now, all this stuff's out of pocket as well.
0: Right. Well, then I, I guess the, the, the answer to the, the, my next question, that I, can, I can sort of predict it, um, you know, with this governor particularly, there's been sort of a clarion call for criminal justice reform in a lot of different areas. And I think one of the things that, that you hear uh, a reoccurring theme is that there are certain um, crimes that perhaps should either be decriminalized or a penalty does, that, that does not subject it to jail time. And one of those that we hear quite often, and some municipalities have even taken it upon themselves to do this. That is a misdemeanor amount of marijuana. Either decriminalize it or make it a, a, a what what we would say a non-bondable offense. You just get a ticket and come to court. Um, what are your what are your thoughts? And, and I'll say this to you. I, I've evolved over the, on this issue over the years. There was a time when I was very very hardcore. I was not in favor of legalizing anything that was that was classified as a, as a scheduled drug. Um, illegal substances i was but but you know my time as a, as a public defender and my even as a, as a prosecutor um I, I've, I've kind of evolved on it a little bit i'm not ready to declare that we need to blanket policy decriminalize misdemeanor possession of marijuana i'm not no anywhere near that but in my view I, I think there are some things that we could look at that might help alleviate jail populations i'm not necessarily talking about prison populations but mm-hmm. The county jail populations, the burden that are on the sheriffs and that kind of yep. thing. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think I think we've got to look at it for uh, what it is. But what's the effect upon the the society of the county that we're in when there are people that are? Hi, I, I, I was in Colorado, Denver, and where it's totally legal. And you walk downtown, and it's a it's a different world. It, it's a totally different world. Uh, I'm not in in the legalization side. I'm not. Um, um, how do I say? In favor of that, I understand the penalties. I think much of our penalties, jail time is not the answer to all of our, uh, how do I say, crimes. I think restitution is in order. Uh, and we know this is that drug. We know that we know this is that most drug use starts with marijuana. It starts with the smaller drugs and ends up in the heavier drugs. Uh, I mean, any of the studies that I've seen show that as being part of the process or the elevation. So I think that's the other part is that as we open that door, what else do we bring with it? Do we bring heavier drugs, harder drugs into that process? And so I think there's a there's a balancing act there. Uh, I mean, look at the op- opio- the opioid issue right now. we have just as big of a problem with drugs that are legalized drugs as we do with illegal drugs right and that 's becoming uh, a crisis, if you will, for what 's going on uh, and we can 't fix all their problems, but yet it is an issue that 's faced with us. How do we deal let 's you know how do we deal with somebody that 's taking a legal drug? Versus the guy who's taking an illegal drug, right, right. and uh, I think those are issues that we 've got to l- look at. I go back to one of one of the things that, that, that in my whole uh, campaign has been faith, family, and freedom. If you look at a lot of this, a lot of this has to do with the breakdown of our families. Our families are struggling today, and they're coming homes so they don 't have anybody in the support system. All of those things I think affect the society as a whole. But um, I think we've got to look at it. We need to look at it medically and say, does this really benefit? Has this got that? And I've got to believe that the, the resources are there. I really would like to see the feds step up and take that burden from the state because right. every doctor, every pharmacist that's handling that under the Georgia is just not being prosecuted by the feds. And I, I can say this, if I were a doctor or a pharmacist, I don't know that I like sitting in that seat from that standpoint. With no uh, clarity of what's going to happen. Right,
0: right. Okay, and that's obviously that's a hot button issue. I mean, there, there are probably going to be people that have watched this podcast or listened to this podcast and maybe watched the video and comment to me. You know, why'd you let him get away with saying that it's a gateway drug? It's not a gateway drug. Well, who knows? Yeah, I mean, the, the research is out there. There's the the opinions are as varied as anything else. It it's just difficult to know. Um but I think it's it's definitely something that is gonna it's it, it's gonna continue to be an issue that legislators are gonna have to grapple with for years to come.
1: And I think this rather than opening the doors wide open, I think this we've got to do it incrementally and say it does this work. If it does, let's go forward, if it doesn't, let's let's close it back down. I just don't think it's something that we jump into right. from that standpoint right. because of the repercussions that come in. Right.
0: Okay. Um, what about, uh, I didn't hear a lot of, you know, you, normally at, during the legislative session, there, there's some big hot button gun issue. Didn't hear so much about this no. this, this year. Was there anything no. floated down there this year about, about guns?
1: Not, not really a lot. You understand this. This was probably one of the more peaceful sections we've had over the last four years you've got an election so everybody wants to be at peace with everyone as we go through the process right uh, i mean that's part, one of the surprising things it was not as uh adversarial there was not the war going on near as much as before i think this is that you know with the, the gun issues uh you got to understand uh, uh there were 1600 plus bills that are floating around and and there probably were gun bills there but they may not get out of committee uh, or never never get a hearing, um, I think what we 've seen and just kind of commentary uh, uh, there 's been a lot of discussion as we 've watched um, the shootings that have occurred uh, around the country uh, they 're screaming for laws to be changed. Uh, I look at it this way. all of the shootings have taken place really in gun free zones as well. And even our law enforcement have been challenged. I mean, if you look at what's going on, uh, Florida, the shooting in Florida, we saw the FBI had noticed, the Florida Bureau of Investigation had notice, and we also saw that even the local sheriff's department down there uh, refused to even go in, it looks like. And then I think, th- but I think it just says to you and I, is that the citizen... And protecting the Second Amendment rights of the citizens are still critical because law enforcement can't protect us from everything.
0: Yeah, and I know. And, and sort of getting into that, I, I know you're, you're staunchly a supporter of the Second Amendment. Absolutely. Uh, and I would imagine that you'd be very reluctant to budge on it uh, in, in the in the sense of yielding to any sort of restrictions beyond you know what are already in place. I, I had this discussion the other day, and I might have had it with. With uh, Trisha Stearns when she was on, um, you know, you already have to be twenty-one to possess a handgun or handgun ammunition. Um, you know, you have to be eighteen to have a long gun. I mean, there there are certain restrictions that are that are in place uh, that are rational, I think, and related to a a, a a policy that makes sense. But I think anything beyond that, you would probably have trouble with. Is that a fair statement? Yes.
1: I, I mean, I'm a lifetime member of the NRA. Uh, I've got the endorsement of George Carey. Uh, I'm like this. I believe that uh, the Second Amendment and the First Amendment are two of our core um, uh, protections that we've got to protect. And I think this is that when we look around the country, I know there are other states that have, for instance, policy, uh, campus carry, where they can't carry on campus. Uh, in one state, there was a 13 percent drop in the crime rate, had had no incident at all as far as someone carrying uh, let's face it, and you're, you being from law enforcement, when the bad guy doesn't know who's armed and who's not armed, he's going to be he he may he he's he's not going to be quite as aggressive as he's going to be in other areas. So I think that's a part that we've got to also look at. Um, kind of like locally, we look at Kennesaw, Kennesaw's policy. We see, even though they passed the law, but we saw crime rates remain fairly low. And uh, I think this is that we. We, we look at the wrong answers. I think we've got to be aware of the student population. I think uh, even here locally in Fayette County, there was money additionally uh, across the state uh, allocated for uh, resource officers, and I think we've got to have that type of protection it looks like we're going to have to have in. But uh, I don't think you take the citizen and restrict him for what one person does or, or what somebody you know, there. I think right. that's wrong.
0: Aside from the, uh, the, the the issue of whether or not the state legislature would have any impact upon this or not, uh, because it's it's largely, I think, a local issue relevant to school systems, armed teachers in schools?
1: As long as they're, there, I, I would I would say this, some training needs to be in place uh, from that standpoint, but I would not have a problem with that. If they're properly licensed, I think the thing we would probably see as the legal issue is these teachers, do they want to carry, and what would the law, how would it apply to them if they're trying to stop um, uh, an offense from going on. Uh, you've got to admit that it would it, it would deter those coming in if they knew they had resistance to what's going on. And what happens, they come into a place that's gun-free, they know there's nobody there that's armed. It really is, is an invitation, if you will, to uh, uh, come in and to do damage. Um, I just think that that's one of the things we've got to realize is that evil is around us, and we can't control all the evil no matter what we do.
0: Sure. Um, and, and another component of this that is discussed, and we'll get off of this in just a yeah. second, but uh, another component of this is, that's, that's quite often discussed is that the state doesn't do enough perhaps to address the mental health of its citizens. Now, I don't know necessarily what that means. I hear that all the time. The state's not addressing mental health issues. I, I don't know what the state could do to address mental health issues, but, I mean, everybody, I think, is in favor of keeping guns out of the hands of demented people. I mean, I don't think anybody in, a, in their right mind would suggest that, you know, a policy that keeps guns away from de- people with diminished mental uh, capabilities who might be dangerous is, is a bad thing. I just have no idea how to make that happen without trampling on the Second Amendment rights of ordinary citizens.
1: I think that, here's the other part, good law, in, in the hands of good government, it's one thing, but in the hands of bad government, it's another. And I think we have to be careful who determines who is mentally incompetent and not mentally incompetent to some degree. Uh, that, that may not be the same in California as it is in Georgia. Uh, I think we've got to think about those things from a standpoint of what what's what you know what's right and wrong. I mean, I look at this. I grew up, and you grew up probably at a time when... Um, I went to high school, and I had a gun in the back of my truck uh, going to high school because that afternoon we were going deer hunting. And I think that's the type of thing that we've lost a little bit. I think even education on firearms makes sense. We've got uh, The NRA has a program. Sometimes the issue of just knowing about a firearm and how it handles what goes on is something that we could do and teach kids from that standpoint so that there's not the accidental shootings issues that are going forth just because you know how to handle a firearm. But I think it's one we're going to have to work through. We're going to have to walk through. I think especially in zones in which we do not have, or we have a gun-free environment, uh, we've got to really kind of ask ourselves, are we willing to open that door or do we keep that door open like that? And does that invite evil rather than suppress it?
0: Okay. Um, another sort of uh, big federal issue, not, not so much. And well, here, here's a sort of a phenomenon that I'm beginning to notice around the country Um Want, issues that were once the almost exclusive domain of the federal government, local governments, state governments are beginning to try to adopt and shape laws to impact those sanctuary cities, for example. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Right. Uh, and it's gone out of my head that quick, but I, I, there's a there's a state with a female governor, and I can't remember the state or the governor's name, but they, she has their legislatures. Legislatures have passed something called the the heartbeat law, yes. or. Okay, which essentially would, would well, I, I don't know. Do you have an understanding yeah, of it?
1: Yeah, I, I, believe, this, I believe the state's of Iowa uh, from that standpoint. That sounds right. Yeah. And, and what it does, it says this, we determine death today by the heartbeat. And that's how we determine whether someone's dead or not. Right. And what this would do is says that when there's a heartbeat with the baby, that is life. And therefore, it would be against the law to do an abortion or to take that child's life when there is a heartbeat. And I think you look at Roe v. Wade when he was passed, uh, which was 1973. uh, You look at what went on then and the technology that's here. Um, I I had the privilege of listening to uh, Abby Johnson, who worked for Planned Parenthood. She was their employee of the year, and she came out of that and tells the stories of what goes on within Planned Parenthood. And what changed her mind was a sonogram. As she watched that baby fight for its life, as they were tearing it apart out of the womb of the mother. She had to leave, and she left out of that, and she says, it is life, and I can no longer participate in that process. And this is a lady who was had, had a lot of, she says, I had a lot of time, and I knew what I was doing, I thought. But mm. she said, I'd never seen anything quite like that. And so I think that's the other part as, as we see this. The technology, let's, let's what let's change. It's changed how we see things, what's there now that we never knew existed from that standpoint. That bill passed um, and probably will go to the Supreme Court. It will go up the ladder. They knew that when they passed it. But I think this is the part about it. <clears throat> I don't know if you saw um, Mrs. Pennsylvania. Um, she is the product of rape. And, uh, and she she just blew the media away because she shares her story that her mother had been raped and her mother chose to have her. Very phenomenal job that these people have life after the fact and when we take life, I think, David, the biggest thing we have to ask ourselves, if we take life early, will we then be looking at life in the latter years and say that quality of life is not what it should be? And I believe if we don't protect the life of the unborn, I believe we will one day be challenged and questioned, what do you do with these lives that are—they have Alzheimer's or they have this or that? You know, I'm like this. I believe all life is, is precious. And that's the one reason that uh, uh, Georgia Right to Life, Uh, is giving their endorsement. I will tell you that as I've dealt with people that have gone through abortions and as they realize that it's not over when the abortion's over. It's not. And, And I believe there's forgiveness for that. I believe that you can do that. But usually most people, after they've come through that, have to go through some dealing with the fact that life is taken. And um, that's a part where I, I believe we need to really relook really at that, relook really at what's going on. Someone says we'll go back to coat hangers and all that. Uh, interesting is that when the mothers see the sonograms and they see the, that life within, it changes many, many, many of those women uh, and their decision to take that life. And here's the part about it we have so many people who want to adopt. That's the thing that's here. There's people that are ready to take those children, and that's an issue I think we've got to look at is I believe that adoption is a far better option than abortion.
0: So uh, a a bill like the Iowa heartbeat bill floated in Georgia, you'd support it?
1: I would support it in a heartbeat.
0: Okay. All right. (laughs) Um, Another issue that's been generally reserved for the federal government that states are beginning to sort of hijack now is is immigration. Yes, sir. Um, Sanctuary cities, what are your thoughts?
1: No, sir. No, sir. I believe this is if you're willing to become a citizen and you're willing to go through the process uh, of that, you can be a citizen. And, I mean, let's face it, many of us come from backgrounds that are immigrants. We come through. I have two ladies in my office who are first-generation citizens. Uh, But I think this is that for them to come in as as they're coming in, they use our resources that they're not paying for many times, uh, from education to health care to all those things that are there. I believe it has a, a destructive nature upon the, what we've built already for our citizens that are paying for it. And so I, I could not support the Sanctuary City uh, issue at all.
0: Um, you know, the, the estimates are uh, the low-end, 11 million, the high-end, 20 million uh, illegals that are in the country right now. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you hear all the time, we, we heard it during the, the, the Trump campaign and, and continue to hear it, and is, is that you know they need to be rounded up and sent out of the country. I, I think, to a certain degree, that, that's a lot of sort of hyperbole, a lot of campaign rhetoric. I mean, do you think, Senator, that it would, it, it would be actually possible, practical, and uh, doable from a financial standpoint to round up between 11 million and 20 million people and send them out of the country? I mean,
1: I think it would be impossible. But I believe this. We need to look at this. We need to look at those that are already educated, that are productive, and say, okay, there's a there's a track you can run on, but you gotta you gotta plug into the you gotta be a citizen, not somebody who's hiding behind or, or hiding in places. Right. We have children that are affected by that, and we've got to create a track to run on. Now, here's here's the other part: is you look at our population growth, um, population right now for for the United States, uh, we're we're struggling to break even. We have, if you look at our birth rate versus our death rate, we know for every two people, two people are going to die. We, and, our, and yet our, our birth rate or, or the number of children for family is below two, two, two. So we're filling with immigration right now. But that needs to be also the right type. I believe that we, we should welcome engineers, doctors, those that we need in our economy first. That should be the first thing that we bring people in uh, from that standpoint. And then we need to take the others and say, okay, are there tracks to run on? But those that are criminal, those that are operating in places... You know what I'm saying? That yes. are on the air edge. We don't need those people here, and we need to find a way to pick them up, move them out from society because they're destroying, are they're a menace to the society that's here. Um, and that's so kind
0: of if, if I hear you, then um, you you would support or at least have a discussion about some sensible track or path to citizenship for those people that have have been identified as people that are not here. Uh, violating our laws, that are trying to do the right thing, they want to be in this country and sharing the American dream, those are the kind of people you want to help and welcome into the country.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I, my, my, my son's father-in-law is from Colombia. And what I found is this, is that about seven years ago, he became a citizen. And it was really neat to see. Here's a guy from Colombia who's come through, he's worked, he's hard working, uh, uh, done a great job, uh, works for Chick-fil-A uh, in the management area. And, uh, you know, he became a U.S. citizen. And that was something for him to be proud of. And I think that's the part. There's tracks that we could do that. And there are people that how to say are beneficial to our society and to our culture. Those that are not in part of the city, they're not paying taxes, they're not and they're just taking our resources. That's not right to the people who are paying the resources. Right. So I think right. we've got to we've got to work on some type of track. We've got to deal with those that are destructive to our society or a menace to the society. We've got to find a way to get them out. I believe we need to do something about our borders. They should not be a, a highway for trafficking coming back and forth, and especially as we look at terrorism, those types of things.
0: Yeah, I don't think you can have any rational discussion about any kind of path to citizenship or, or anything without first having discussion and figuring out how to stop that stop stop up that border. Absolutely. you got to stop them from coming in. I mean, that's just common sense. Okay, well, look, um, I bring this up because when I had Trisha Stearns on a couple of days ago, a, couple of week, or a week or so ago, she brought it up, and I didn't talk with her about it because I wasn't familiar with it. Okay. But I want to at least give you an opportunity to respond to it. Um, she had said something about a traffic stop that you were involved in, and she, I think her remark was, you know, you, didn't, you know, he behaved inappropriately or something like that. And, again, I just went right past it because I, I had not heard a thing about it. Right. Is right. that something that you want to respond uh, sure. to, I, Senator? i be glad to respond
1: to it because uh, 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 it was new for me and uh, uh what went on uh and um what happened is that I was pulled over for a um tag renewal and uh, you had an expired tag expired tag okay and i had uh i'd sent my check in and my renewal in and uh my vehicle was was a uh uh in its fourth year of um newness if you will and uh what happens is that under current law in Georgia year 1 year 2 year 3 you have no emissions, and we are one of the counties that has emissions in it. Um, and as you, you uh, do that, and so he pulled me over, and I was trying to, and he says, we're going we're gonna, to uh, impound your car. Well, that was new for me. I've never had property confiscated from me, uh, and, and they're going to leave me on the side of the road, which is what they do. And uh, currently, Georgia, uh, Georgia law allows that. It says, in fact, the wording says, the officer shall impound.
0: Which removes all discretion from the officer.
1: That's correct. So every officer, and I'll tell you this, in, in my, after this happened, I did a lot of interviewing with a lot of police officers. Uh, there's a lot of discretion given. And I, I had one officer who said, I've been on the beat 14 years. He says, I've done two in my 14 years. So the discretion was used. So, uh, you know, th- they came to me, and, and I was trying to fir- at first figure out, you're going to take my car. W- what did I do? I said, I paid my, I paid my bills. I'm mean, And because I remembered signing the check and sending it in. Went apparently into the tag office. Uh, they might. I'm assuming could match it up with a uh, emissions at that time. But I never got a notice. Never got any anything at all back from that. Uh, once I kind of figured out what was going on, I said, "Okay, that's what's going to happen." I was trying to find out. I said, L- "Let's at least, in, rather than impound it, take it to the emission place. Let's let's get it. I can, I can pay it. It's not a matter of the money." And so uh, as we got through um, the uh, the officer at the end, he says, "Well, that's just the law, and I can't change it." And uh, I looked at him, and I said, I can. And so uh, when I uh, did this, I went over to the TAG office and visited with our tax commissioner. I wanted to learn about what the process was. And what I found out is that uh, Wells Fargo actually handles the processing. That's not handled by the state nor the county. And um talked to them about the issues. I found out about other people that had had the same problems. Uh, here's one that was t- shared with me from one of the ladies in the TAG line. She says, I had a girlfriend who went to get her emissions done. Uh, the car would not pass. It was going to cost $1,600 before she could get the $1,600. She was pulled over and her car taken from her. And she was a single family mom uh, from that standpoint. Um, and so, you know, as I looked at it, I said, due process as a normal rule says your fault, my fault, whose fault. There should be a due process before there's the confiscation of property. And so that that kind of set me on a road. Uh, we, we put Senate bill... Um, uh, 342 in place and it passed and, and here's all it did it changed this it changed from uh, the confiscation of your car to you had to have the problem solved before you went to court or the judge could take your car then but it at least you allowed for some due process time to occur and uh, it passed the Senate unanimously passed the House with two dissenting votes uh, we thought the governor would sign it and the governor vetoed it And I was very surprised at that because I believe that due process and you understand law enforcement is just something. And I will tell you, as I talked with many law enforcement officers, there was a lot of times that they're using judgment in what they do and very, very few. But in this case, that's what they decided to do. And I'm not ashamed of it. I was I was kind of going, what are you doing now? And and I will tell you that there are people left on the side of the road. That's what they do. And I said, what if that was my wife, my daughter? Or what if that was some family going to Disney World for the first time, getting on the plane and missing their flight because they're standing on the side of the road? I just think this is that we need to limit the overreach of government. We need to deal with criminal issues. This is not a criminal issue. This is something that's there. Uh, If your insurance is out, I understand, yeah, you take the car, but that's verifiable right there on the spot. Those types of things. I think we, as legislators, need to limit that overreach issue. And I see this as an overreach.
0: Will you try it again next year?
1: Yes, sir. That will be one of the things I'm going to work on. Because I will tell you, the people that I've talked to have said, that happened to me. Uh, I've got one lady in her email. She says, I sat on the side of the road with my dog waiting for my husband to come get me. Right. And that's the type of thing that I think needs to be. And, and
0: certainly, I think it was characterized as though you were sort of vilifying law enforcement. You're not doing that.
1: No, sir. I back, I back law enforcement 100%. As I mentioned to you, I spent uh, 10 weeks going through the uh, Sheriff's Academy because I want to do this. I want to work with them. I understand this is that when we pass laws, the other thing that has to be done, they have to be enforced. And I want you to understand what they're faced with. Let's face it, the bad guys don't keep the rules, and we know that. And that makes it hard, but yet there needs to be that balance of justice that's in there, and we've got to be uh, aware of that and how we do that. And we as legislators pass laws, as you know, that the police officers have to enforce.
0: Well, the last thing I think I want to talk with you about, and we're sort of running out of time here, uh, but this, um, you know, another hot-button issue is transportation. Yes, sir. Uh, You know, there's a there's sort of an emerging and changing demographic in Fayette County, uh, which of the circuit, that's probably the most as far as population. That's your biggest area of the of the uh, of the district, rather not circuit. I'm thinking the Judicial Circuit. Um, But we have some there's some changes happening here. Pinewood has come in. That's causing some some changes. Um, Just development in general, folks wanting to come down here, contrary to the argument that some are making that Fayette County is having trouble keeping its Young people they they get old enough to move out, and that 's what they do. The traffic doesn't portend that it looks to me like we're getting more folks down here, but anyway, that notwithstanding um, you know there's this regional commission that's been established mm-hmm. to to study the the metro area and, and you know you and I had this discussion many times during our campaign. I think we both agreed uh, to include particularly four years ago to include Fayette County into a metro thirteen county region was a little ridiculous absolutely. Um, and I don't know that it's still not ridiculous. Uh, I, I'm I'm really not sure about that. Where, where are you on that?
1: Well, let, let's, let's deal with one of the bills that came up uh, uh, is uh, HB 170, which was the transportation bill that was uh, four years ago. And it gave, uh, we, if you remember, we transferred from sales tax to excise tax on fuel. And the reason was, if you remember, gas was at $4 or so a gallon. It was going up, it was going down. And the state was having trouble really kind of determining their budgets because of the up and down pricing. And uh, I was for HB 170 as it started because I said, let's put an excise tax. That will work because it keeps a fixed amount for every gallon that's sold and helps them to predict that better. Had no problems. I said, okay, and they even indexed that for inflation, did a lot of little things. But it was a it was the largest tax increase for Georgians. I mean, it was a $900, billion, uh, $900 million tax increase as far as that. Um, and uh, but here's what happened when the bill came on, and you got to understand the initial bill starts. But when it came back to the floor for for passage, the last two days, that it had put a five dollar hotel motel tax on it, and also excluded mountain rental homes. And I'm I'm very much this is that taxes should be equally painful for everyone, and I don't believe we should pick winners and losers. Uh, from that standpoint. I believe that um, it should be for everyone. Taxes should go across the board. People should not be there. So I, I voted against that. There were seven Republicans that voted against it. It was a governor's bill. I agreed something needed to be done, but we didn't need to exclude one class for another. Uh, in the same time, I had one county that they put in a, a city tax and a county tax, and now they got a $5 hotel-motel tax on top of, of the state sales tax, so that you look at the effective tax rate on a room was you know twenty almost 20%. Before, beyond that, I voted against transportation until this year. This year, we had a transportation bill that I was willing to vote for. And here's what it did. It gave this, the county of Fayette County the ability to opt in or opt out of whether they wanted to participate or not. All the others did not give the opt in and opt out. There's no doubt that we have a a, a problem with transportation coming forth. Some of that not in our county. I was at DOT Uh, uh, earlier this week, uh, talking about the exit at Highway 74 and 85. And that is a Fairburn-Fulton County issue, but it's an issue that greatly affects Peachtree City, Tyrone, and Fayetteville greatly. Uh, It's a $56 uh, $56 million project. Uh, uh, The cost overruns are there and how long. Right now they're saying 2020 and 2021 before we do it. I said, the traffic's already backed into Fayette County when you go in rush hour. I believe we've got to look at ways to get that, how do you say, fast-tracked. Uh, I'm going to try to talk to our federal representative, Drew Ferguson, and I want to talk to uh, David Perdue. Is there a way to fast-track this thing and get it done? Because it's hindering what we're doing. Uh, we, we've got to realize, you mentioned Pinewood. We've got Pinewood. We've got Peachtree City. we got places. Fayette County is a great place to live, and people want to live here. And when you have good school systems, but you've got to have that traffic piece that's there. But we've got to also work with, how do I say, those that are there. And it may even take Fayette County putting some money in to get this exit done. Uh, there was a shortage of about $14 million, but we're trying to work on that. Um, I think this is that to look at buses or transit. I don't think that's where we're, we're not ready for that. Even Atlanta struggles with MARTA. When you look at it from a density standpoint, the density of New York, L.A., all of those the density is so much higher. I mean, we're talking three and four times uh, density-wise. You've got to have density if you're going to support a transit system that's there. And we're just not ready for that as a county. People are just not up for that. And and you know this, the local sentiment is just not really. That's They're, they're here in Fayette County. They like the environment. They're not ready to change. But we're going to have to do something on the outlets for roads.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, to, I've I've always maintained that that mass transportation is is a largely a cultural issue. Um, folks that are not from the South that have come down from from the Northeast that grew up with that system. I mean, it's nothing to you know. When I was in Philadelphia, stationed up there in the Navy, you could get on a train and go anywhere. You know, Atlanta's not that way. MARTA doesn't operate that way. MARTA goes back and forth. I mean, that's it. There's there's not a, a lot of you know, interconnecting tracks. So it's not really a mass transit system in the true sense uh, that folks are used to up in the northeast. So, I mean, it takes a lot of work to get in. I've always said that, look, a MARTA train could pull up in front of my my door right here. I'm going to get in my Jeep and drive to work. I'm just not taking my I don't I don't want to be restrained that way. And I I just think that's sort of a a, a regional cultural thing and which plays into it as much as the economics of it and everything else.
1: Let me give you one of my my thoughts on this. I agree with you. Uh, We are uh, we are tied to our cars. We love our cars. We are car lovers in that respect. But one of the things I noticed is this is that uh, when we have a federal or state holiday, there's not a traffic problem. And I would say this is that one of the things we fail to do is to think outside the box logistically. I believe we could take state and federal employees, require them to be at work at 6 or 10, 10, that's their two choices, and then we would relieve some of that. Let's look at this. If you're a manufacturer and you need more production, you put on a second shift and you run a second shift and you utilize the resources and the capital that you already have. The problem is, is we don't think outside the boxing government a whole lot. We just kind of, eh. and I mean, we shouldn't be building new office buildings downtown unless they're needed to be there. Move those employees outward. Don't run everything through the middle. We saw that when we've seen our snowstorms and things of that nature. Everybody's got to leave at the same time. The system will not support it and can't support it. And I don't know that we can build it fast enough, but I think we ought to look at things like that and say, hey, is there a day that they can work remotely or whatever?
0: Well, yeah, that's a good point, and I'm going to have to, unfortunately, I'm going to end it on that note. Okay. I could listen. I could go on talking for the next two hours with you. Uh, I've got things running in my head that I I want to talk about, but we'll be here all night, and I know you don't have time for that, and uh, my intrepid assistant has fallen asleep. We put him to sleep, (laughs) Senator, twice. Can you imagine? This is riveting. I can't believe that you're over there cutting Zs.
1: The reason is he's not driving a car, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's been a long day.
0: But listen, I really appreciate you coming in and talking with me um, and, and sharing with my audience. Um, I, 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 it really means a lot to us. Uh, good luck in the election. Thank you, sir. Um, you're welcome back anytime. Okay. Thank Thanks you, Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, me. everybody, all right. Mr. Uh, Senator Marty Harbin, um, listen, I'm disappointed with you all. Here's the thing. I had 14 – I put up a two-minute sort of promo video on this the other day. Oh, God. Dropped it at Wednesday at 7 o'clock. This is when this is Friday, a little after seven. Fourteen hundred views on that thing. Uh-oh. In it, I admonished you all to Uh-oh. email to me questions for Senator Harbin. Uh-oh. At our email address of TMGS podcast at gmail.com. TMGS podcast <laughs> at gmail.com, everybody. I said please send questions for Senator Harbin if you have them. Fourteen hundred of you viewed that uh, Promo. You know how many questions I got on that on the on the email there. You how many do you think Jack? Take it. Just take a wild guess. But I'll help you. It's between zero and uh, zero. take a wild shot in the dark here. Was <laughs> it zero? It was zero. What is wrong with you all? I mean, I've got a sitting state senator right here. His undivided attention and you, my listeners, had an opportunity to jump in here and, and, and ask your questions and get your name read on the air, but no, no, Ouch. I got nothing. That's so look, email me, tmgspodcast at gmail.com. Send me an email. Let me know what you want to see on the show. Let us know what kind of content you're interested in. This is good stuff. The uh, the numbers bear it out, so we'll try to have some more uh, you know, elected officials in here from time to time. Uh, so let us know what you like and what you don't like. Um we uh we, we will certainly read those and and respond. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Jack, you got anything before we uh, before we get out of here? Don't be afraid to contact us. We do not bite most of the time. Exactly. I don't i I don't get it. But look, we really appreciate your support. Um, I'm, right. I was overwhelmed by the number of folks that that watched that promo I put out the other day. Our numbers are growing. The podcast downloads are getting bigger and bigger. It drops every Tuesday, everybody. It's available on iTunes at our Buzzsprout site. But most easily, it's in your news feed, your Facebook news feed. You can find us on our Facebook page, Things My Granddaddy Said, my personal Facebook page. And we have a YouTube page. It's our channel, YouTube channel, Things My Granddaddy Said. We'll have the video portion of this up uh, on that soon. This may not drop. The video portion may not drop Tuesday because it takes some editing and some extra steps to get that ready. But the podcast, the audio, will drop Tuesday. So look for that, everybody. And I'll be on again soon to give you a preview of next week's show. So thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. And we will see you next week.